What's up, everybody? My name is Joshua Stein of the J. Stein Law Firm in Atlanta, Georgia, and welcome to the next episode of Sports and Torts. Each week on this show, we talk with our friends, colleagues, and peers about sports, law, and business, and we have a great time doing it. We have an awesome guest on the show today. I was actually just telling him that there's no way that 60 minutes is going to be enough time to go through all the stuff that I want to talk with him about, but we're going to try. Our guest is the president and CEO of a, com- of a company called Alliance Group, which is made up of a marketing company called Alliance Activation and a tax relief company called Alliance Tax Solutions. I've heard many people refer to our guest as a, quote, serial entrepreneur, which I'm very interested in having him explain to us what all that means and entails and a lot of what we're going to talk about today. Outside of work, he is a youth football and wrestling coach, and I have recently learned that he is the Usain Bolt of volleyball dads. (laughs) We'll get into that too today. Finally, he is a native New Orleans, so we're giving a voice to LSU and to the Saints on this podcast. Go Tigers. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only John Chrisadora. Thank you, my man. I appreciate it. Welcome, my friend. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic, my man. I'm, we're, we're having a little cocktail, so it's good. We are. So I always like to set the stage. Um, we are at your house. You were kind enough to invite me over. And, you know, I gave you your background with sports. You're a competitive guy. You, you'd be the first to admit that, right? Uber. Very competitive. Uh, in business and sports, all of it. In life. And, and you are in the running now for best setup for this podcast. Yes, in indeed. Of, we are, we're, we're sitting in your very comfortable library, nice chairs. We're drinking Whistle Pig 18-year bourbon. Uh, we've got High West whiskey sitting on deck. Um, and so far, we're having a good time. We haven't started yet. So thank you for the hospitality. Listen, man, who do I need to pay to guarantee that first position? <laughs> me. Okay, perfect. Yeah, Done. The, the check can be made to, to, to me or my law firm. On it. Uh, we'll agree on the, on, the, on the amount later on. But seriously, I'm so glad to have you. Uh, real quick, you know, t- tell us who you are. Introduce yourself. Give us your background, where you grew up, and what you're doing. Yeah. Like you said, John Cristodoro, uh, I, I have been a bit of a serial entrepreneur for the past decade or so. Um, but... My father uh, was in the Marine Corps during Vietnam and then spent about 20 years in the Army from New Orleans. And so both my parents are from New Orleans, as am I. Um, So we spent some time traveling around the world in different duty stations. Every three years, we popped up and went somewhere else. Um, The biggest stark or biggest change or dramatic change is his last duty station was in Germany, and at which time we moved from Germany to L.J., Georgia. So what age were you when you were in Germany? Uh, Just before eighth grade, about seventh grade, sixth grade, seventh grade. That was his second duty, uh, second term of duty over there. He spent the first one um, two years and then three years. So from Germany to LJ, which is North Georgia. Oh, it's um, as north as you can get. Are there any two places that could be more different? Absolutely not. <laughs> so I knew I was, now it's God's country. I absolutely love it up there at this point in my life. But as uh, you know, a rising eighth grader, which living on a dirt road, moving from Germany, it was a, it was a big, a stark contrast. But the first day of school, they introduced, hey, this is John. He just moved here from Germany. I knew I was in for a bit of a treat when the girl walked up to me. She says, you speak English? <laughs> I'm like, ironically enough, I do. They did speak English on the military. Base, do you speak German or did you learn any German? Only bad words. Only bad only words. We'll keep those to, our, to ourselves. Then. Absolutely. My grandma would not be proud, so I'll keep them to myself. Now, I, I, I associate you with New Orleans um, because you're a Saint, big Saints fan, big LSU fan. Uh, you know, all the culture, history of, of New Orleans. So wh- when did you arrive there? And tell us just kind of your, your experience growing up in New Orleans. Well, the beautiful there. thing was um, 
um, between each duty station, my father had to go set up housing. And so my grandmother lived in New Orleans uh, in a neighborhood called Lakeview, which is smack dab in the city. Um, and so between duty stations, we'd go stay with my grandmother. And if it was an extended stay, I'd start school there and then I'd switch and go move to wherever my father set up um, housing. Um, but after high school in LJ, Georgia, I moved back to New Orleans and went to college at University of New Orleans. So I was a privateer with the intention on moving to go to law school, ironically enough. How does somebody... How does somebody stay on task in college in New Orleans? It's really all, tough. With, with all of the distractions that can surround you. Or, or do you kind of get numb to it? And it's like, this is for the tourists to do. They're on Bourbon Street. They're, they're doing their thing. Or is that still an attraction to a college kid? No, it's, I mean, for those who haven't experienced life, and I had the benefit of living all over the world and in different cultures and things, not that I was drinking like I did in New Orleans, um, but it wasn't second nature. It was just a thing. And once you get that out of your system and you do a considerable amount of partying and you're used to drinking at 18 or going to the drive through daiquiri shop, it's just another experience. Um, and so it was relatively easy. I really, um, you know, formed some great bonds and relationships through my fraternity brothers, um, through my experience there. Uh, and so once I finished school there in New Orleans, um, I, I thought, okay, well, let me just take a break. I think I want to be a rich and famous actor. And so from there, I went to Los Angeles. That's right. Uh, so, and, and I think you also told me that you had aspirations of being a lawyer. Absolutely. Right. So, and so, and yeah. so you were thinking Los Angeles, take some public speaking classes, do some acting. Um, and then you ended up going a different direction. So, uh, after college, you went to you went to Los Angeles yep. to do these things. I mean, talk about living in LA and compare that to New Orleans, to LJ, to Germany. Like you've been, you've been everywhere. Yeah, and people ask me, would you ever move back to Los Angeles? And the answer is no. Well, I shouldn't say never, but it's highly unlikely. I think it's a great place to visit, just like New Orleans. I don't think I'd ever move back to New Orleans. I love Atlanta, except for the Falcons. But um, yeah, early dig on the Falcons. <laughs> I thought I told you the second half of this was going to be Falcons versus. Who that baby? Who you, that? You're Listen. six minutes in and throwing shade at the Falcons. <laughs> Listen, it's in it's in the blood. Yeah, but um, you know, New Orleans, great place. Los Angeles, great place. Sands the traffic and 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 all the things that come along with it. But when people ask me to compare the two cities or cities to anybody else, any place else other than Los Angeles. I put it like this. So it's it's absolutely true. I'm sure you've said you've been in New Orleans before. The people and the culture, it is a laissez-faire kind of relaxed atmosphere. It is, you know, let people be, have fun, enjoy great food, great music, great, you know, drink, and uh, and it is what it is. And so when you give a compliment to someone, it's generally, it's genuine. And when you go to Los Angeles, and I'm not saying this is a blanket statement, and I'm not saying those who are from Los Angeles are fake or whatever, and everyone's there. However, I liken it to giving someone a compliment there. Hey, man, I like your shirt. Their general reaction is they, they're sort of taken aback and they'll say, well, I'm, I'm not a producer. I'm not a director. I'm like, what, I don't what are you trying to get from Exactly. Me? Whereas in New Orleans, hey, man, I really like your shirt. Yeah, baby. It's on, it's, it's on sale down there. Take two <laughs> lefts and right. Give me a po' boy on the way back. You know, that kind of stuff. Right, right. And, so, and, a, and a beignet. Am I saying that right? Beignet, you did. You did great. So, so you go to L.A., um, you're a good-looking guy. I can say that. I, Thank I, you, I, my I, feel, man. I feel I feel fine saying that. You've got very nice hair. Hair comes up on this podcast a lot. By the way, how often do you get your hair cut? Is it like on a certain amount of every two weeks. Every two weeks. Okay. So I've got friends that are like very specific. Seventeen days and nineteen days. You're fourteen days. Sounds like I'm. That's I'm, because prior military. So yeah. So 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 actually talk about that for a minute because I know that that your your family's military uh, service is a big part of your life. You had you yourself served the military. 
Um, talk about that experience. Talk about how that shaped you into the businessman you are. Well, I mean, don't jump to the end of the business conversation, sure, sure. but just kind of in the, in the family man you are. Like, how how'd that provide color to the way you live your life? You know, it it it, it was a, um, a a truly foundational component in my life. So, as I said, my father was in the Marine Corps during Vietnam, and then went to the Army. So I grew up. My my dad was a very easygoing guy. He was a mechanic. He ran a motor pool. Very simple, blue collar guy. Um, but he had rules. Rule number one: never disrespect your mother. And rule number two: can't argue with that rule. Absolutely not. And rule number two: do not do bad in school. Okay, can't argue with that one either. Outside of that, because he 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 dropped out of high school, got his GED, went to community college in Delgado, um, and 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 accomplished some things, but wanted more for his kids. And that's as a parent, I think we all do. And so it instilled you know, a, a, a real work ethic in me because if I didn't make my bed, I got demerits <clears throat> too many demerits. I got my butt whipped or I got something taken away. The demerit was an, was an internal scoring <clears throat> system in the house. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Using the military and so on and so forth. <clears throat> but growing up, I always had aspirations of doing something. I just didn't know what. And of course, tough guy, I want to be special forces, this and that and the other. And I talked to my dad and I said, Hey, what do you think? And he goes, well, son, you want to join the military? Join the chair force. And affectionately referring to the Air Force. And the reason why the Air Force gets a bad rap is we, we use our brains for the most part. There's nothing wrong with what the Navy and the Marine Corps and the Army do. It's all excellent things and we need them. Um, but the Air Force focuses on higher ASVAP scores, higher techno- technology requirements and those kind of things. And my father would tell me when he was out in the field, sitting sleeping under his, his, his deuce and a half, which is a very large truck, he would see the Air Force guys walking past in their civilian clothes with five o'clock shadows. And he says, man, that's what I want my son to do. So when I got to college, <clears throat> I, um, first of all, in, the, in Louisiana, if you're in the National Guard, I signed up for the National Guard in Louisiana Air, Air National Guard, you're tuition exempt. Plus you get the GI Bill. So I can so, go to so any school. So it, it takes care of your college. Absolutely. Huge. Absolutely. And so I wanted to do something. I wasn't real sure that I wanted to do it full time. And so listening to my father and his advice, I joined uh, the Air Force. I didn't, however, pick the best career path because as an 18 year old freshman, um, I went to the recruiter and I said, OK, what do you got? And so I took the ASVAB and he's like, listen, you scored great. Pick so walking in there, what, what is your aspirations like? Like walking in there, you're thinking, I'm going to be flying planes. I'm going to be doing what? I didn't know. I didn't. I honestly didn't know. And everyone that's seen Top Gun wants to be a you know fighter pilot. Um, and so it's really based on availability, what jobs they have at the unit and what jobs are available at the time. And the recruiter was great. He's like, guess what? We've got weapons. I'm like, <laughs> your, 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 your eyes light up. You're like, I'm, I'm like, in. Yeah! I'm in. You know? <laughs> I'm in. Weapons. Tell me more. He goes, and... We're going to give you a $2,000 signing bonus. Might have been, must have, might as well have been a million dollars. You right? kidding me? Huge money. You kidding me? I mean, that's a lot of beer, right? Yeah. So I signed up for weapons. What it was, I was an armament specialist on the F-15 aircraft. So the 159th Fighter Wing in Belchase, Louisiana, uh, was an air-to-air unit. At the time I was there, years ago, F-15s, F-16s, and A-10s. And so I signed up for that. So, But in, as I was saying, in retrospect, I would have most likely signed up for something like um, avionics or logistics, something that I can use in the civilian sector, but I wouldn't change it for the world. So do you think that, that, you know, growing up in the way you did with military is a big part of your family with you going to the military. Do you think that is, that played a big role in you wanting to become an entrepreneur? And as, as people have called you a serial entrepreneur, is that, is that probably the foundation for what you're now doing? Do you think? I don't think my military upbringing planted the entrepreneurial seed because 
Fortunately and unfortunately, um, military is based on structure, chain of command, following orders. So if you're not someone that, you know, excels in that type of environment, then, you know, you're not successful. And I think that's what really uh, it really takes to be an entrepreneur. You have to step out of your comfort zone. You have to take risks and you're not necessarily supposed to do that in the military. So it instilled a sense of purpose in a sense of attention to detail, in a sense of drive that I think helped in my entrepreneurial pursuits, but now, I don't think it made me the entrepreneur. Got it. So in your, in your you know, early to mid twenties, you're in Los Angeles, you don't just start running your own companies. No. Right. I mean, you, everybody's got to learn the, tr- the, t- the, the tricks of the trade, learn how to work, find out what you want to do, what you're sure. good at. Um, acting, I guess, wasn't the path you ended up going. Well, so I, I need a point of clarification. So while in New Orleans, I wanted to go to law school. My plan right. was go to Tulane. So my justification for taking acting classes and public speaking courses is I just want to be a trial attorney. Those are essentially actors in front of the jury. That's when I fell in love with that. I try to be authentic as in front of the jury. I'm, I'm trying not to act. I'm trying to be my real self. We have to believe what you're saying. <laughs> but to your point is that, yes, like, like the presentation we give to jurors, or at depositions is it's, it's, it is. And you got to be able to talk and be persuasive and, you know, know what you're doing. So I, I totally get it. We have, you have to have a certain je ne sais quoi, right? And so when I fell in love with acting, I fell in love in New Orleans because my first audition was a national commercial for Raleigh's checkers and I booked it. And I'm like, this is awesome. This, this is easy. easy. What are you this kidding me? You know, yeah. I'm going to do it in Los Angeles. Unbeknownst to me, I'm one of a billion decent looking guys. Everybody's saying the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So I get out to LA and um, how I ended up getting into the entrepreneurial path is I started the acting thing. I had a little bit of success. I was in general hospital for a little bit. You know, that kind of thing. Were you really? Yeah. What was your role? Deputy Sparks, my man. Deputy Sparks. Yeah. So my mom, uh, I think, and she'll be listening, um, was a general hospital watcher. Back so in the day, it, 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 it span, I mean, that show was on forever. It probably forever. still, it probably still on. Yeah, it's still on. Um, I was never into soap operas, but that's cool. I didn't know that you had a role in there. So yeah. you were, you were what? Like, what, what was, would that person do in the well, show? Well, my story arc. First of all, I was just supposed to be a day player. So my agent sent me in. Generally, what you do with these soap operas, you do a go see, and they're like, okay, he's a decent looking guy. He can act, or whatever the case may be. Let's stick him somewhere. So my first role was deputy number one, right? okay. South Carolina. So I show up, and for your mother's sake, she'll know Maurice, um, the actor. And so I get there, and my role was something. So the, the character was Samantha, and a uh, very beautiful woman, a bit of a troubled soul, if you will. And I was there to arrest her because supposedly, if you follow you know, soap operas, it's kind of hard to believe, but supposedly she had an altercation with her mother, I believe, burned down the house, someone passed away. We were there to get her from South Carolina. But... I was there, my, I literally had two lines, where is she, or something to that effect, and I kicked in the door. I guess I did well enough to where they called my agent back like two days later and said, we want to come have him come back, but now he's Deputy Sparks, so I've got a name, I've been upgraded. I'm about to say, you just got a promotion. Absolutely. So, so, so more importantly than you telling the story, do we have video of this? Is, is, is there footage we can go pull? We should, you know, my wife hasn't even seen it, and so I'd like to be able to pull it for her, from her, or for her to see, that she's seen my extra work on Friends and Boston Public, and I did some, some independent films. 
Um, it, it was a lot of fun. See, I, I told y'all that fitting this in in 60 minutes would be mm-hmm. impossible. We, we could talk the entire time about the military. Yeah. We could talk the entire time about you know, these roles you had that, frankly, I didn't know you had. I mean, I know you went out there. And, surprise. And, yeah, surprise. Um, there's so much more I want to get to that I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to have to go a different we'll direction. we we'll, entrepreneur, yeah. We'll do this again and talk about that. Okay, cool. That sound? So, so you're in LA, you start working for a radio station or you're selling? No. So in Los Angeles, if you're an aspiring actor, you're the one of two things generally. You are a waiter slash bartender or you're a personal trainer. I did a lot of working out, so on and so forth. So I started working in Bally's um, as a personal trainer. I then met my, uh, uh, my manager who then got me into the role. So, but while I was there, I trained a guy who worked for a company called Westside Rentals. Westside Rentals is a web-based home finding service in Los Angeles that assisted people that were moving there to find a rental. And so he convinced me to get into sales over there. This is kind of early on in the web game too, right? Yeah, I mean, early on. This yeah. is early 2000s-ish. Yep. So it's, the, the internet is not what we know of it today. Nope. And people aren't working in it like they were like they are today. So you were kind of one of the first people to do that. that well, day. the owner of the company, Mark Verge, brilliant guy, was a, uh, a lifeguard in Santa Monica Beach. And he had some connections. His father knew some people with rent-controlled things. Anyway, he took information, put it on the website, and he flipped the model. He charged people to get access and let landlords list for free, thus creating a, a surplus of inventory. So while I was there, I started working with a client who had a property who ended up being the general sales manager of KFWB Radio in Los Angeles, the home of the Dodgers. Okay, so I, th- so that's what I remember from our conversation. Yes, that everybody knows I hate the Dodgers. Huge Braves fans. I know you're a Braves fan too. Um, Absolutely. So, so I remember you saying about the Dodgers. Do you have any cool Dodger stories that make me like them more? Or yeah. Am I, am, I, am I right to dislike all those? Vince Scully is a great guy. Um, the organization is is a world class organization. I think um, the stadium is a poop hole, if you will. But the funny thing is, while they were recruiting me, I've always been a Braves fan. So moving here in 89, it, it just so happened they were pretty good, right? And I became a massive Braves fan anyway. And I'm still a Hawks fan and not even a Pelicans fan because that's not really even a team. But they, um, they still New Orleans? Yeah, man. Okay. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, okay. It was the Hornets and Hornets, the, 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 yeah, Chris Paul. Yeah. yeah. So while there, they had me in the suite and they're pitching, oh, it's the Dodgers and yada, yada, yada. And I looked him dead in the face and I said, listen, I'm not a Dodger fan. I'll never be a Dodger fan. Doesn't mean I can't sell them, but you just got Raphael for call. So I think I can root for you. It's you when go. they had just gotten go. him. So they laughed. Yeah. So is that your first, uh, quote, sales job? Um, well, at Westside Rentals, I was actually selling memberships. So people would call in. So that, so, um, and then technically you're selling personal training packages, even though you're a personal trainer. Do you, do you think learning sales is the foundation of everything that you've not done in business? Everything. Yeah. Everything. I believe we are all selling something. Something. We're, we're, we all have a widget to sell. Well, not even a widget. Sometimes we're selling ourselves. Sometimes we're selling an idea that we believe in. Sometimes we're selling a product or a service, but we're all selling something. Right. And I think it's a firm foundation. Everyone thinks that the richest people in the world are lawyers and doctors. No, they're salespeople. Right. That in obviously uh, the, the big mortgage, the, the hedge funds. But if you can sell yourself in a valid and authentic way, you'll be successful. So, yes. Um, so I started selling sponsorships for the radio uh, for the Dodgers and selling airtime on the radio. And if you can get through slinging a non tangible asset that someone can't even see or touch, 
you can sell it. They can't see it. They can't touch it. And I'm sure they are saying like, how can you prove to me that there's a return on this? Sure. Right. Like, it's not like you can go to a cash register and say you sold this many cheeseburgers or whatever during the day. And the best salespeople tell that I'll sit with you, for instance, and say, Josh, you should buy my radio station. And your response is why? Generally, they'll say, well, I have a million people and 38% of them are in your target demo and and it's not that bad. And all right, how much should I I pay? Generally between 10 and $20,000 a month. Month and is it guaranteed to work? Nope. Do you think the phones will ring? Maybe, but just Which is the right it. answer, right? Yeah. You can't lie to these people. You can't guarantee anything. Sure. So, so you end up getting to Atlanta because I think you once told me that one of your former bosses recruited you to come work for him or work sure. for, for stations. Is that what brought you back to Atlanta? Because uh, other than that, you really had no reason to come come back to Georgia, right? Or, no reason. Or maybe you did. No reason. Uh, my aunt and uncle lived in Lawrenceville, so I was relatively familiar. Um, but yes, so the guy that I worked for, he ran the Dodger broadcast when KBC lost or when they picked up the broadcast from KFWB, he got recruited to run the Braves broadcast for Clear Channel, which is now iHeartMedia. And so as soon as he touched down, he picked up the phone and said, listen, man, you got to come out here. This is a great opportunity. Um, aren't you, didn't you live here or something? And I said, yeah, I'm a massive Braves fan. The cost of living is so much better. Sure. And so I moved my eight month pregnant wife. And myself out here to Atlanta and started working for Clear Channel. So, so Gosh is your wife. Yep. Uh, move with her. Ellie, your daughter, not yet born yet. Not yet born. Drop you in Georgia and you're like, let's go. Let's go. And that was what year? Okay, let's do the timeline. So I started the agency about 10 years ago. So it's about 12 years ago. Okay, so that, that, was, that was kind of the timeline I was looking for. So, so you move here and then within two years, you're like, all right. Now I'm going to do something for myself. Well, the, now I'm going to now I'm going to tap into this entrepreneurial spirit of mine and start a company. Is that is that right? That's exactly right. Now I always had that itch. You know, as you get older and you find some success, I believe uh, I I wanted to to test myself even more, and I wanted to control my own destiny. And I'll explain the story that sort of set it off. But in the back of my mind, working for Westside Rentals, I thought, what a brilliant concept. People looking for a place to live. We were doing between five and 10,000 memberships a month at $60 a piece, and most of which was just transactional. And so I'm like, well, if I can figure out a market that I can replicate this model in, lo and behold, I'm in Atlanta. Okay. And I'm like, well, great. Let me start it here. Let me rebrand it, so on and so forth. So I start working for Clear Channel. And like everyone, if you're having success, it's really hard to get away from the benefits. It's really hard to take the risk and so on and so forth. So I was having a lot of success. Uh, I ran the media for, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but there's a place it used to be called Wild Bills. Oh yeah. It's now Up in Kennesaw. At, no, it's actually in Duluth. So, they're, uh, they're, yeah, Cowboy, Duluth, Cowboys, yeah. Cowboys in Kennesaw. You're right. You're right. You're right. So Wild Bills up in, in, in Duluth. Um, so we did the media for them. And so we were doing events. And so as the rep, the radio station would have to recognize the revenue somehow through ticket sales. And I would have to get paid commission. So I was making eight, ten, twelve thousand dollars a show with no risk. And so the yeah, VP of sales, great. I'm like, this is awesome. Yeah. The VP of sales came in and said, listen, John, you're great. You're a number one sales guy. You're making too much money, and we have to move the account. And I'm like, okay, I understand the business case. I'm not taking any risk and I'm receiving the reward. I understand. If I was in your shoes, I would do the same thing. I said, at that point, I'm gonna double down and drink the corporate Kool-Aid. And I'll rise up the uh, the corporate ladder. So I went to my direct report and I said, hey, there's a, a, a position available as a local sales manager for one of the stations, 640 WGST. I'm going to throw my name in the hat. And he looked at me and says, man, you realize that's a massive pay cut, right? 
And I said, yeah, but if I'm going to rise the ladder, I got to take a step back to take two steps forward. Gave me his blessing, went into the VP of sales. He gave me his blessing, went up to the market president. And she said, you're probably one of the best salespeople I've ever met, but you don't have what it takes to manage people. I said, really? Okay. Yeah. You're like, and she says, I said, yeah, okay. So from that point forward, I said, I'm done. So, so you actually, you actually were, were, were committed to try Mm -hmm. to stay with the, 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 the corporate America route rise up. And then they told you, eh, so you're like, all right, fine. I'm gonna go do my own thing. And so, so, uh, I'm very interested in in the decision tree that people go through to make that decision because it's not easy. Nope. You have a, a young family at home. You're comfortable with the commissions you're making. Now you're like, you know what? I'm about to bet on myself. So what is that like? What is that feeling? I mean, when you when you decide I'm going to start this company and it's going to be in this marketing space that you know, it's scary. It's scary. So I have an amazing partner. My wife Gosha is God sent, right? And so she's been with me through a lot of ups and downs. When we first started dating. Uh, I was working for Westside Rentals. Um, we became serious. She moved in. I said, hey, I've got this idea. I'm going to go work for this radio station. And she's like, really? And she trusted me. So I did that, went up the corporate, rose through the ranks. I said, I got an idea. I'm going to move us across the country to a city you've never been to. And you're pregnant, but I'm going to do this. And she goes, okay, I'm going to ride with you. So I go there. Then this happens. And I'm like, you know what? I'm done. And I went and talked to her. Now, keep in mind, not, not to be braggadocious, but when you're making $300,000 plus, it's really hard to walk away from that, right? Sure. Yeah. And so I went to her and I said, I've got this idea. And she says, okay, are you sure? And I said, yeah, it's going to take some time. And so when I got her blessing, that was really... So let me stop you real quick yeah. because it's funny that you said you had this idea because the tagline of your company is the idea company. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so you start a company, Alliance Activation... And tell us what that means because um, you you provide marketing, I don't know, solutions, campaigns, ideas to small businesses, big businesses, sure. restaurants, law firms, schools. What am I missing? Insurance anyone, companies. Anything, anything. that any so, anyone that sells a product or service. So so a product. So they come to you. You have an idea for them, or they bring the idea of their company, and y'all put together a marketing plan or a campaign. Like, what what is it that y'all are doing? Okay, so we started out by just consulting from a traditional media space because of my background in in radio and sponsorships. And so that's what I did. I started working with my existing clients. And so when I left, I did my little Jerry Maguire speech. I told all my clients that I was selling radio to, hey, let me be your agency. If I guarantee that your rates don't uh, go up and I manage all your media, can I win your business? And they're like, yeah, that makes sense. So you didn't leave with just the... the, the Fish ball with one no. fish. You got, you, they're coming no. with you. You got to right. be strategic because if you do the right thing for people, they'll trust you. They'll stick with you. You gain their trust. You maintain their trust. They'll ride with you. And so when I did that, um, I, I, I started very modestly. So we just do what we're doing radio. Okay. Um, and I had clients, Heineken and Corona and Coca-Cola. They already had agencies. And so I'm like, where can I get in where I fit in? What can, what can I help you with? Okay. And so I started doing that and it went from making a substantial amount of money to making maybe 30 or $40,000 the first year with no benefits. Okay. So it was risky. Um, and then the service offerings we provide have evolved over the last decade to include traditional, obviously expand upon traditional, which is historically radio, TV, billboards, direct mail, those kind of things. 
digital, which everyone wants to do, and that consists of search and social and retargeting and affiliate and those kind of things, and then experiential. So we'll build out experiences for clients that have a need to have consumers either touch, taste, or feel or experience their product or service. Right. There's not a one-size-fits-all. No. Every person that comes to you is looking for a different way. Um, Lawyers is who a lot of my network is. Absolutely. A lot of the the listeners are going to be lawyers. A lot of plaintiff's lawyers like me, small firms that that, that do personal injury. So I know those are some of your clients as well. Yep. so I want to talk about kind of how you how you view that specific sector. But one thing that I want to point out before I forget is is your website has a quote on it, and I wrote it down. And from Henry Ford, and it says, "The man who stops advertising to save money is the man who stops the clock to save time." Just doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, um, people are afraid to jump into spending a whole bunch of money on advertising, marketing, hiring a company like yours. Yeah, um, for lots of reasons. My, I've, I've been afraid of it too. Right? It's it's a big it's a big thing to jump into. So, how do you answer? Or first off, how do you explain that quote? What it means to you, and how do you answer people that that don't make sense by trying to not advertise or not market themselves? There are a few businesses out there that don't have to advertise that are still very successful, but then only last for a period of time. Everyone knows Coca-Cola, and they still spend a ton of money advertising. As you said, one size does not fit all, but you have to really understand and create and be um, aware of your metrics, okay? We all have to market our product or service. Does that mean creating content like you're doing, which is brilliant? Absolutely. Does that have, you should have an omni-channel approach, which you mix several different things. I'm not saying radio works for everyone. I'm not saying search works for everyone. I'm not saying newspaper works for everyone. However, first of all, we ask five questions. What is your objective? What are you trying to do? And it's not sell more stuff, get more I want to cases. make more money. I want more customers. No joke, right? Um, it is, generally speaking, you either are trying to build your brand or have a consumer moved through a call to action. So there's two different types of campaigns. It's a to-do campaign, which is a call to action, either making the door swing or the phone ring, or a to-believe campaign. Is that, a, is, that, is that the door swing or the phone ring is like a bumper sticker? No, it just popped in my... I'm, I'm sure I stole it from someone, but... <laughs> Make the door swing or the phone ring. Well, can I steal it from you then? Steal if you it. Yeah, here, do, I, do I own rights to that? That's it's awesome. all you, baby. All right, I'm so sure you, somebody else does. All right, so you're on number three. Sorry. So, I, I so like that's that. the objective. Figure that out. The target. Who's your target demo? Now, it's very specific... Target versus actual, right? A lot of times people get confused. What they want to do is sell a Mercedes, but what they're actually doing is selling a Toyota. And there's nothing wrong with selling a Toyota, but don't market as if you're selling a Mercedes, okay? Know your consumer, their age, their demo, their habits, whatever the case may be. When you're talking about buying media, whether it's digital or traditional, you generally do age segments and socioeconomic status and all that kind of stuff. So you got objective, target, the timing. Normally, businesses are cyclical, right? With your business, people get in their automobile accidents all year round, right? Maybe in the winter, there's ice. You're going to have more accidents than not. But know the timing. And either you're going to ride the wave of high um, uh, revenue or hit it when it's low revenue to, to bolster your bottom line. So it's all in a personal preference. So target timing, uh, objective target timing budget right? What's your budget? Now, it's not my job to tell you how much to spend because everybody's like, oh, how much should I spend? Well, that is a question everybody's asking you, right? Sure, because yeah. a lot of people don't know. They don't, they don't know. They don't want to spend too little and have it be like kind of pissing in the wind, not sure. enough. Absolutely. They don't, they don't want to overspend because no one wants to do that. So 
I mean, that's a question I've asked you before. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? So every business owner, small, medium, and large, should know what is their, um, based on their P&L, what is their acceptable cost per lead, and what is their acceptable cost per acquisition, okay? That will determine how much you should spend. So if my acceptable, so for instance, in my tax business, on average, people spend about $5,000 with us. They have a back tax problem. We help them out. They pay us that much. I am willing to spend upwards of five to $700 a lead and even $1,200 to acquire a client because I'm going to make money in the long term. So it all depends in your business. I don't know what the, what the margins are or whatever, but that'll dictate what you can do. But you also have to layer in competition, competitive landscape. Yours is a very competitive. Very competitive. And, and so the, the, the kind of internal discussion I have in my head is that you can't drive, and I've said this before on this podcast, you can't drive two miles, two feet in Atlanta and not see billboard, personal injury attorney, billboard, personal injury attorney. You can't turn the radio. Mm-hmm. So it's highly competitive. And I don't, sure. I don't swim in those waters, don't want to swim in those waters. Those aren't the kind of, those aren't the, the law firms I'm competing against. They're not who the clients that I want, quite frankly. Sure. They get good cases, but on the whole, I don't want to be intaking thousands of calls per whatever week or month or whatever. Sure. So, you know, it, it is something you have to just drill down, like what kind of client do you want? Where do you get, where do you want to get them from? Yeah, I agree. And so when you're trying to pick the right TV station or radio station or search campaign or website or whatever, every media source will give you what's called an instant qualitative profile. The average of who's going there, what they look like, what they sound like, what they, whatever. And as long as that lines up with your target, it makes sense. Now, you also have to layer on, like you said, competitive landscape or whatever. But in your situation, for instance, um, you're not looking to have 10,000 cases a month. You probably can't handle that volume. You want the right cases. Exactly. But I also feel as though you're best suited to create tribal storytellers. When you do a good job, make sure that people are telling other people. Testimonials and those kind of things, right? That, that's exactly what I have, have tried to do is that I treat each one of my clients, I, I hope and I try sincerely, very, very well. Sure. And they go tell their friends that. And if, God forbid, their fin, friend or family member gets in a wreck, that's who, or some other incident happens, hey, you got to call Josh. They do testimonies on my website, that kind of stuff. Um, all my referrals, all my clients come from that kind of thing. You know, yeah. come, come from somebody I've helped before, somebody who I know, who I've built trust with. Um, that's the way I've gone about it. That's the way I'm going to you know, hopefully continue to go about it. It makes complete sense. And so you shouldn't be doing a, a big call to action campaign. If you've been hurt in a wreck and da 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 da, because you're going to get drowned out, all right? Especially in Atlanta, when you said billboards, it's one of the more inexpensive as it relates to population density markets there is for out home. That's for two reasons. One, there's just a lot of inventory. Media is supply and demand. Digital, traditional, it's all supply and demand. If there's a lot of units available, the price is down. And that's the case in, in, in out of home. But again, we've done, we're currently working with a, a couple of personal injury attorneys, one of which a couple of years ago was spending a considerable amount of money on African-American stations and Hispanic stations. And he was one of 18 in the commercial breaks. And so it's just the luck of the draw. Yeah. How do you differentiate yourself? You don't. So, so the other side of it is, is the digital world and SEO and pay-per-click and all this crap that frankly I've tried to understand and I've, I've done considerable amount of reading. We've talked about it. Um, my thought has always been that as I understand it, 17 or 19 of the 25 most expensive words on Google are related to personal injury. Absolutely. Key, that key, and key insurance. Words and insurance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so for me to think I can compete with Morgan and Morgan and Ken Nugent and John Foy for those words, it's a fool's errand. 
So I, 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 I question whether for someone like me or for other small firm lawyers that are listening, what, what is, the, what is uh, a proper strategy for digital marketing on Google? Okay, so online. so just to just to sort of lay the foundation. So our digital team is awesome. They do a ton of different things. But when we're talking about um, what is SEO versus SEM, right? So SEO, search engine optimization, that's in relation to your website. That what that's what's going to generate organic traffic when someone's searching, not a keyword search or cost per click search. And SEM is search engine marketing. You can do that through retargeting, through display, which is banner ads, or like you said, keywords. Um, cost per click or whatever. Car wreck Atlanta. Yeah, those kind of things. In, injury, car wreck, you know, Georgia. So what I would suggest for someone uh, of, of your size, your, your firm size, or any of your, your counterparts, start in your backyard, right? And niche it way down. Some differentiating factor, right? And don't just say slip and fall. Like we're in East Cobb, okay? So do a five to 10 mile radius, okay? And then always have a team. Don't make the mistake of doing it yourself. There's a lot of people out there that do it. There's, there's a decent amount of people that do it well, um, but you have to stay on it every single day, just like continuing education. How do you sniff out the snake oil salesmen from the people like you who know what they're doing? You just have to test them. But, but, so you, but, but, but then they'll say, you got to give me six months. You got to give me nine months, right? Like that's what they're going to say. Like it's not going to happen overnight. So what do you do? Talk to other folks that have used them that that sure. Ouch and Google reviews, sure. all that kind of stuff, because that's the, that's me and my peers biggest, you know, it's a hard time. It's like, how do you know the ones that are good from bad? Well, I mean, again, there's some buzzwords that generally everyone uses and whatever the case may be. Ask, like you said, you start with your peer group and see what are you doing? What have you heard? Those kind of, what's your average cost per click? What are you paying for? Whatever the case may be. Uh, but then have them um, lay out them being whoever's pitching you lay out a specific plan. Right, and when you're saying it takes six months, it doesn't take six months for for uh, search engine marketing, search engine optimization. It does. It takes time to have organic traffic, and that's that's the the question mark. Okay, how do I get people coming to my website organically? Everyone wants that. Um, it does take time. I don't think you should necessarily you should spend some time there, but it would be more of the PPC. So you say, okay, what's your plan? What should I expect as far as return? Are you guaranteeing? Because if they're guaranteeing anything, it's nonsense. Because you can't guarantee, no, right? Like no. that, that's the client that asked me on day one, well, how much is my case worth? Sure. You don't know. There's no way you can know. And the, and the lawyers that say, well, we're going to get you a settlement for X amount of run. Of course. Because they, they're just trying to get your business. They're not being, not being honest with you. Sure. They can say my average client is X or the average case is Y. Um, listen, Josh, I'm doing a lot of talking. I need to replenish my yeah, uh, cocktail. Yeah, do it. Replenish. <laughs> yeah, so, so while you do that, um, what I want to talk, you talk about next is you have this tax group, which um, well, I'm curious about how you sp- spend your, your time, how you budget your time between the two. Um, it's hard enough running one business, right? And the, the idea of being responsible for running two of them, to me, is very overwhelming. So what I'm curious about is when you wake up on a Monday morning or when you wake up on the first day of the month, like in your brain, how are you budgeting your time between the two businesses? How have you set up your organization to have, have it scalable so that it, it's running without you having to be pressing all the buttons? Um, what, what have you found has worked and what have you found, frankly, hasn't worked for you? That's a very There's a lot going on in that question. A- <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was filling time for you to make your drinks. So. Hey, man, you did it beautifully, and now I am replenished. Um, in the words of George Strait, I'm a fireman. 
<laughs> okay. And so, and what I mean by that is you generally, it's, it's human nature to go to where the fire is and put it out. When you've got so many things going on, you usually dedicate your time, effort, and energy to solving problems. But you're probably wondering how in the world, and, and I won't take too much time, but just to, to, to share with your listeners, how in the world do you go from starting an agency to getting into tax resolution? It has no connection. Well, the short story is I was doing the media for my now partner in Houston, Texas. I learned about the industry. It's very um, uh, interesting to me. It, I was hedging against volatility because everyone, we're always going to have tax problems or tax issues. Death and taxes, right? Death and taxes, absolutely. And so I had the opportunity to open the business with him about four years ago. And thank goodness, knock on wood, it's been successful. So you asked me, how do I, how do I allocate my time? And you also hit on a, a brilliant point. As an entrepreneur, we make the mistake, um, I believe, too often by wanting to have complete control. I'm the only person that can do this particular task. I'm good at this. Now, if you're providing a service that only you can do, you're not scalable. And you're not going to reach a billion dollars if that's your goal. Maybe it's not your goal, right? And so you have to surround yourself with good people. Now, it's easier said than done. Early on, the revenues are not there. It's you and an assistant or just you sometimes. Or maybe the wife is helping out on the weekends. But once you, if you do it the right way and, and grow responsibly, you start adding on people. So when we started the tax business, I started with my partner. And I think partnerships are great, but they, they're not meant to last forever. Unless you have a phenomenal wife like mine or yours. There you go. But, um, Dana's going to present that shout out. There you go, Dana. But um, they last for a period of time. Right now, specifically, my partner and I, we're considering, I'm considering buying him out. Why? Because he's come to a position in his life where he wants to try something new. Maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. So when we started the company, because of my skill set was in marketing, that's where my focus was. His skill set was in sales. He had had a tremendous um, experience in the industry, so he ran our sales team, and we hired someone to run operations. Because once you sell something, it's even more important to fulfill it. Right. right? The, the, I've, I've said before that the sale is where the job actually begins. Oh, yeah. Once you make the sale, you now have to execute on the sale. Well, when I used to train the guys in radio, I think life is based on threes. I don't know. I'm weird like that. And so when I would do my training, I would say, everyone is focused on getting someone to buy something. Say yes to radio. But it's the threes. It's the yay, pay, and then stay. The yay, pay, and the stay. The yay, pay, and stay. Yeah. Yay, you said yes. Awesome. How many times has someone said yes but never signed in the line that's dotted, right? And then once they do that, you got to get them to pay you. Okay, in your industry, you only get paid if you win and all that good stuff is just a little bit different, but then you have to keep, and then if it works, that's where the real money happens. When they become marketing. clients for five years, oh, 10 years. this is for great, life. and you build upon it. And right? then they recommend their, you know. Their, Absolutely. Their, yeah, and that, right? now they're staying and they're, they're, they're growing. And yeah, they're, yeah. Sure. So again, that's only part of the process. I, I, I think I digress because I forgot where I was going, but it, it, we really wanted to focus on getting it fulfilled and so on and so forth on the operations side. And so like today, my day consisted of doing one-on-ones with employees, talking about marketing strategy with our CMO, figuring out what our next 30, 60, 90 day plan is going to look like. And then poof, that was in the tax business. My GM from the agency walks in and says, oh, by the way, one of our clients is going to uh, switch initiatives, they're going to do away with their direct-to-consumer product, so we have to completely revamp the, the strategy. Oh my goodness, that's, that equates to a $15,000 hit monthly in my pocket. 
I need to figure out something. And so again, it, it, the flow of the need sort of dictates where you spend. Right. Your time. And, the, and the big part is having the right people in place to, to service whatever issue comes up. So that you're not the one or your partner's not the one that has to do it. Absolutely. All right. Well, I love all that. And in the, in the interest of budgeting time, time. there you, you go. know, uh, you like, you like that segue, that pivot, dude, um, are you sure you're in the right business? I'm, I'm, tr- I'm trying to, I'm trying to budget the listeners time to make sure that I give them the opportunity to, to or give you the opportunity to give them some LSU and some saints talk Yeah, baby. because, because, because we've had lots of Georgia talk, lots of Braves talk. It's been a awesome year for the, for the local, local teams. And congratulations L- on that, Josh, by thank the way. You. Yeah. Thank you. I got my Georgia sweatshirt on. You got yeah, your LSU rocking. shirt on. So LSU's had a lot of recent success as well. I mean, y'all are, y'all are two years removed from national championship. Key is recent. Right, I'm I'm 44 years old. Most of my life that I can remember, both my Saints and my LSU Tigers have not been so good. Right, and that's why I have a healthy hatred for Florida, because they used to beat us all the time. Yeah, we share a dislike. There you go, uh, and probably dislike for Alabama. So I've got to yeah. I've got to I've got to ask you first off yeah. though, your new coach Brian Kelly, who I think is going to be just fine there. You better be. He had that. Dollars. He had that ridiculous TikTok video that came out. Recently. That blew up in his face. The guy signed with uh, Alabama. You, you know see what? That? That, he kind of deserves that. Oh. Because, because not that I'm rooting for Alabama to get any richer, but, but what is Brian Kelly doing? I mean, he comes down, he's got that kind of fake accent going. He's on these crazy TikTok videos. I think he's a good hire for y'all. But, but what, is, what is the LSU fans like? Knee-jerk reaction to the hire. How's he going to be? What's the future look like? Well, you have, to, you have to start every season with optimism. A little shot at you. That's what the Georgia fans do, right? Next year, not anymore. Year, not, not, anymore. Anymore. <laughs> not anymore. You know, hey we're, man, I love you, baby. We're champs, baby. Yeah, you're right. So um, I have a healthy shot of optimism coursing through my veins, um, you know, because I believe purple and gold, um, and so I believe that Brian Kelly, until he proves otherwise, is going to be successful. He's been a winner, relatively Everywhere's speaking. Gone. Everywhere he's gone. Everywhere he's gone. Recruiter. He's got a great track record. Now, what he was thinking by jumping in the TikTok was back to the marketing thing. Know your demo. Okay, people always believe, and this is a marketing thing. This is a sale thing. Thing, in my opinion, be authentic. Do you think that was authentic of him? No, it's not authentic. Right, and so maybe he learned his lesson. Yeah, that, that, that you know, Kirby Smart is is if not the best, he's one of the top two recruiters. He plays the TikTok game. He knows that that, but he's still authentic with it. It's still at he least to me. Maybe, maybe I'm a little. Maybe I'm a little biased. I think Brian Kelly was trying to be serious in it, like the whole thing. And I'm like, what are you doing, dude? You're not. That's- so compare Brian Kelly to Dakojo, who yeah, baby, yeah, Tigers. who who everybody likes Kojo. Well, I'll I think um, yeah, I think everybody likes him. And and for y'all, while he did have kind of a uh, he rose to the top and then he kind of dropped down to the bottom. But y'all, he's, you, you still love him. Listen, do I think that Brian Kelly will ever walk into the auditorium, face his players, rip his shirt off and headbutt a dude in helmet? Absolutely not. That's Coach O. That's Coach O. Right? That's Coach O. Yeah. Go Tigers. His right? sound bites were legendary. Oh, listen, have you heard his, um, I forgot it was on ESPN or something to that effect, his outgoing message. When you call the cell phone, everything was, hey, da 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 go Tigers. I mean, everything ended with go Tigers. And he's, he sincerely bleeds that and sure. believes that. And That's his li- home. And he played there. That. Yeah. He played there. He, you told me that he you got know, a little homesick and went back but home. To, yeah, but, went yeah. back home. But he's, he's a Louisiana guy. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's great. It's a, it's a great story. And, you know, 
y'all, y'all will always love him, right? He will never pay for a drink in New Orleans again or Baton Rouge, I imagine. He will pay for as many drinks in the state of Louisiana as Stetson Bennett will pay in the state of Georgia. Yeah. Okay. So, but yeah, he's authentic. Back to authenticity, and and maybe that got him a little trouble. I, I think, and this is just hearsay. I believe that uh, got a nice contract, found freedom through a divorce, had a little bit too much of the sauce, and maybe talked himself out of a situation. However, I think he he left at the right time under the right circumstances, because even though we had a COVID affected season. Um, it was still much, much lower than the bar we set at LSU. You yeah, know? I mean, so. LSU needs to be right there. Alabama, Georgia, LSU need to be the top three. Absolutely. Right? And Florida fans won't like to hear that, but that's just the reality <laughs> of it. Florida and so LSU has won two titles in the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, really good. Uh, Joe Burrow, you guys Joey love Joey B, baby. I'm a, you know what? I'm a Bengals fan now just because Joey. All of you guys are Bengals are. fans now. And Come you should, on, and, now. And you should be. So, so where does Joey B rank in like all-time LSU lore? He's got to be right there at the top, even though he was only there for, for a short period of time. Well, you have to mention Billy Cannon, right? Heisman Trophy winner, 52 national championship, all that stuff. Don't know Billy Cannon, but I imagine to LSU fans, he's very important. He, he's very important. However, um, in today's day and age, when you put up a season like Joey B did from the stats and from the swagger and All-timer. from the first game against Texas, which almost gave me a heart attack, it was just phenomenal. Now, I had the, I had the blessing and the curse to go to the national championship against Alabama in New Orleans, the one where we didn't pass the 50-yard line, and I was very it was angry. What, 21 to nothing or something? Oh, it was, it was just— Y'all beat them earlier in that year. Oh, yeah, 9-6. But it was, it was unbearable, okay? And so this Joey B season, I was— It was all the in. opposite. Yeah, well, but, but I was all in. So I ended up going down to Alabama to watch us throttle— the Crimson Tide. Now, which the funny thing is, they made it pretty close at the end of the, of the game. But we stayed down there. I was over there with an Air Force buddy. And we stayed there. And the next morning, you know how. I'm sure you did the same thing. You read the the tweets and the Facebooks. And you wanted to live the national championship moment for as long as you could. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And so I wanted to relive the beating of Alabama the first time in eight years for I'm, as long the way, as I could. I'm still reading, as you call it, the Facebooks. Oh, yeah. The Facebooks. <laughs> and, 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 and the Twitters. Yeah. And all that stuff. And you watch it on replay. You know how many times I watch the national championship back? Even though I know what's going to happen, a, I'm still a, on the edge of A gazillion times. A yeah. gazillion times. And so the next morning I woke up and... Love or hate Nick Saban, we all have our Got to respect him. The dude knows what he's doing. And I'm actually reading his book right now. And it's phenomenal from a leadership perspective. But this shows the lunacy of the SEC fan. And I'm just going to talk about the SEC because that's our home. Go ahead. Yeah. Dude, they were saying Nick Saban should be fired. Nick Saban couldn't perform and beat LSU. I'm like, Alabama. That's the best thing that's ever happened to you yeah. and ever will happen to yeah, you. Sl- slow down, guys. Slow your roll, homie. Slow down. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, slow down a little bit. And so I'm, I was just like, you guys have to be crazy. Now, Les Miles, he was a source of some heartburn for us. Run left, run right, he's a, he's run a, he's, up he's, the middle. He's, he's, he's a kooky guy, but he got y'all championship too. Not sure, not sure he's, what he's doing now. Well, some would argue. Well, he went to Kansas and then got booted because he was terrible. But some would argue he won the national championship with Nick Saban's guys. Whatever, and, you know. You know. Yeah, I mean, you can always you can always say that, but he still won. So, yeah. so I I, <laughs> I I have a 
I have a respect for LSU. They're not a, they're not a team that I like. Mm-hmm. You know, screw LSU. We went in 2008. My buddy Jason Gans' bachelor party was in New Orleans, and we we went from New Orleans Saturday morning went to Baton Rouge for um, for the game. Baton Rouge. It, it, it was baby. it was a 3:30 game, which I had been told I was lucky that it wasn't a seven o'clock game. Because, it should have been a night game. Because Valley. because because the Cajuns get you know really sauced up by them. But anyway, it. it they, your 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 fans could not have been nicer. Could not have been more welcoming. Gumbo, crawfish. They're making all. They're making everything. We kicked y'all's ass that day. Um, I actually looked it up just now. Um, <laughs> Georgia, Thanks, Josh. Georgia, Georgia won fifty-two to thirty-eight, Ooh. which is a crazy score. Like I, don't, I remember, we we put it. That was stat, that's not that, SEC defense. That was right staff. That was we had Stafford. Uh, we had Noshan, and we had AJ Green. And so that that was like that was pretty it. good guys, right? Yeah, um, so, so like Joey B and Chase, baby. Yeah, so so you know, it's 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 interesting that we're talking the Tuesday before the Super Bowl, and I do want to talk about the Super Bowl uh, because both of our schools have a quarterback in there. You got a dog in the fight. So so, the L.A. Rams are are four or five different guys on that team went to Georgia. It's like the L.A. Dogs is what all my friends yeah. you know call it, which gives me a reason to root for the Rams. Otherwise, wouldn't. I love the Bengals story. Yeah. Who doesn't? I mean, they won. They won. I think six total games the last two years, and they're in the Super Bowl, which is what's beautiful about the NFL—the parity that it brings. Oh yeah, you're a Bengals fan now. I am. You know? I am. You got Joey B. So um, I think that's just—it's just an interesting kind of thing for me and you to have that happening. So, so what, what are your thoughts on on the Super Bowl? What are your thoughts on Joey B. Like being there within two years of from LSU? I th- I think it's a phenomenal story. I have a. Um, a relatively healthy hatred for the Rams. You know, let me explain why. If you had your head under a rock, you didn't see the playoff game, Saints-Rams, where the no-call of the century. Now, I just watched 30 for 30 or whatever that he is about the tuck rule. <clears throat> that pales in comparison to the non-call on the pass interference that would have sent us to the Super Bowl. But I'm not, I'm not angry. No, not angry at all. Not I, at I, all. I, I, I can't don't. sense any bit of dis- disgust. Here's the funny thing. I had to fly out the next day, and it was the longest line in Atlanta Airport, and I fly often, that I've ever been in. It was I was in clear and pre-check, and it took me two hours. While I was in line, a guy with a Rams whatever, a jersey or whatever was in the line, <clears throat> and he was all mopey and whatever, and he looked at me, and I said, so you're a Rams fan? And I asked him the obvious. He goes, yeah. I said, didn't work out for you. He goes, yeah, da-da-da-da-da. I said, dude, you shouldn't have even been there. Shouldn't have even been there. He was like, yeah. oh, you must be a Saints fan. And, 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 and I, I, imagine, I imagine all these Rams fans in L.A. are, are very new Rams fans. So, so they're, they're, Any fan in Los Angeles, it's a fair-weather market. Yeah. They're USC when they win. They are Rams when they win. Lakers win LeBron's. Thing. Exactly. Dodgers when they're not when they're 500. Yeah. So, so it, do, it does to a certain degree pain me to align myself with the L.A. fan base, but I got to go with Stafford. You're I got to. You're not aligning yourself with the L.A. fan base. You're aligning yourself with dogs. So I'm rooting for, I'm rooting for the Rams. Uh, I think that the Rams, um, I think they do win. I think the Bengals is a great story. And it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a close game. I I don't even know what the line is. That shows how how bad it is. I didn't even check the line. But last time I checked, I think it was three and a half. Yeah, that which sounds about right. Um, so I'm going I'm going Rams twenty seven twenty four. I'm gonna I'm going to go out on a limb 
and I'm going to say that the Bengals, their defense is going to show up. It's not going to be a high-scoring game. I'm going to say 21-10 Bengals because Cooper Cup, ridiculously, he's ridiculous, but he's going to make a mistake or get an injury. And I'm no Nostradamus, but that's what's important. Well, so you are a football coach, though. How the hell does he get open every time? Is his route running that, like, pristine and succinct and perfect? I don't think so. And and you mentioned, um, yes, I, I, I pride myself on um, being the defensive coordinator of a, a fifth-grade Super Bowl championship. <laughs> we team. talk about humble brags on the show. There's your humble brag, fifth-grade yeah, championship. That's right, baby. If you, if you had a camera now, you can see my son's ring behind us. But um, And you digress. And I digress. And my wife literally asked me, this is fifth grade. How much film can you watch? Don't you have a job? I'm like, yeah, I do, but this is my passion. It goes back to your competitiveness. But of more, course. more Cooper Cup. Like, how's that guy open all the well, time? Well, but that's the thing. So um, the defensive coordinator schemes for different scenarios. You're, you're going to have to lock in on Cooper. However, I think it speaks to probably the brilliance of the O coordinator because you can rub, rub routes, that's the thing. He he's a very smart route runner. It's not like he's has blazing speed. He finds the zones and sits down. And sits in. And he's got a great relationship and rapport with with Stafford. And Stafford is a very smart. I mean, the poor guy was stuck in Detroit, Detroit. for twenty seven thousand yeah. yeah. years. Clint Daniel is the only man that can win a championship for the Detroit Lions. I'm just gonna leave, oh, I'm gonna leave that right out there. Oh, that right out there. Baby. All right, let's let's move on. Um, so so Jamar Chase though is an LSU guy who is equally ridiculously good. Oh yeah. Graham loves Jamar Chase. Jamar's the man, dude. Um, the funny story, though, you heard he didn't start very hot this season. So in preseason, he was having the case of the drops and early on, and they asked him what's going on. And he said, well, because it doesn't have the white ring around the ball. Uh, okay. I can't pick it up. I'm like, come on, dude. Was he on the team um, that won the championship in 2019, or was yeah. he not there yet? Yeah, he was there. So him, Jefferson, yeah. all those guys. How we lost, which we didn't, but how we could have lost was beyond impossible. Me. So I was at the – uh, Edwards Alaire. The SEC game when y'all beat Georgia. I was there too, baby. The play that Burrow made when he was should have been sacked. He's on like the 10 yard line. Runs to the left. He went to the left, to the, right. Went to the right. And I'm sitting there and then he hit, I don't know, Jefferson, one of them. Yeah, I think Jefferson yeah. crossed. Him. And I'm like, what are you going to do? Nothing. Like, like, like that guy's awesome. I don't, I don't dislike Burrow. Like, golf clap to you sir and then then the georgia fans were like okay well that was cute and then y'all went and did you do so that's awesome it now, was great yeah now the saints oh, i do want to give you a few minutes we're we're we're, we're very neutral here to give our our guests the ability to talk about their you're such a politician josh go ahead i'm not i'm anything but that <laughs> um but i know you're a huge saints fan um who does i would love to say that i hate the saints but i'm just not that much of a nfl like like diehard, like of course the Falcons were great a couple years ago, Super Bowl in it. But I'll be, I'll be, I'll be very honest that this year, um, I think they're on the right track. But I'm not watching every game, so I don't have this like deep down hatred for the Saints. Um, but I'm not disappointed to see Breeze gone and Peyton gone. Sure. So what, what's next for the for the Saints? Like, are y'all in like straight rebuilding mode? No, no, no. We have a lot of pieces. We have to figure out what the salary cap is gonna, um, you know, how that's gonna affect us. We'll see what Dennis Allen, the newly hired coach of the Saints, is gonna do. Um, but you know, I, I, I'm I'm again optimistic. It all starts with the quarterback, though. So when Winston goes down, do you have a quarterback? No, we don't. I don't know what's going on, right? And with salary cap issues, Kamara, is he going to be there? I don't know. Is um, Cameron going to be there? We, we don't know. Uh, I don't think that um, 
Taysom is going to be there. He's not the answer long term. He he was he was a good gimmick to, sure. to change the pace of Brady, but he's not a every down. Yeah, he's not. He's not. And he proved that he didn't win the job. But it's so funny when you're talking about the hatred for Saints versus Falcons. I mean, again, growing up, we're about the same age. I'm I'm a little bit older than you. We've been so bad, and as long as we beat the Falcons, it was <laughs> all right. <laughs> and it's so funny because when I moved in, uh, we've been in this house a couple of years, and I got this letter in the mail, and it was not addressed to me, and it said NFL Players Association. I'm like, ooh, what is this? I'm kind of nosy, right? And it was my next-door neighbor who was Brian Scott. If you guys don't know who Brian Scott is, he was, I think, second-round draft pick out of Penn State by the Atlanta Falcons, strong safety. His significance was he got drafted, played for the Saints for, or played for the Falcons for a couple of years, got traded to the Saints. He was in the game when the block, the Gleason punt, the Gleason punt, the block around, around the, the world. world. Exactly. Yeah. So, and and I didn't even know that. And he told me because every year Sean Payton gave a shout out to B. Scott for missing the fumble. And what he's talking about was the play before Mike Vick rolls out. Scott Fujita pressures him, causes the fumble. It bounces close to the sideline. B. Scott goes to pick it up. It goes out of bounds. And for context, yeah. this was right after Katrina. Yes. This was like the first Monday night game, yep. first game back in the dome, yep. right? Yep. So, so just, just people that, that don't know that aren't Falcons fans or Saints fans, this was like when New Orleans was back. Sure. And, and there, there was also, I mean, people are people. And Katrina was a devastating thing that hit New Orleans. And even if you weren't a, a Saints fan, you were rooting for the underdogs. You wanted them to rebuild. You wanted them to be successful. You, we weren't America's team, but we gained a lot for of that, fans. For, for that week, y- y'all sure. were. I mean, everybody was, it's, it's, a, it's a good story. And when I went back, I was still working at Clear Channel. When I went back, a bunch of the Falcons fans, that's what they were telling me. We hate the Saints. Now we hate them even more because everyone loves them. We're so tired of hearing about them and Katrina and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and it was just, it drove that wedge even more. But again, it was a significant event because, let's face it, New Orleans, it's known for a lot of things. It's known for great food. It's known for Mardi Gras. It's known for debauchery. Right. It's known for overdrinking in the French Quarter. But there's not a lot. It's restricted between a lake and a river. You only have a certain amount of land, right? And it's not, it's, the crime is high, the wealth is low, so to speak. And the saints are our outlet. Right? Everybody loves it. That's what yeah. you do. Yeah. So, again, it's something we class. So, how does, how does B. Scott, and I've met him, you've introduced me to him, and he's a, 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 a great guy. Phenomenal. What, what, what is his quote? I don't want to mess this up. The talent versus hard work. He says, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Say that again. Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Brilliant. So he told that to the group of our, our sons play football together. Sure. And he said that, and, and and we've all tried to impart words of wisdom to these boys, but that, at least to Graham, sure. that, stu- that stuck a chord. I think it's brilliant. It's great wisdom and something that we all can can take from. But how does he describe that, that moment in that game? He told me he, um, he was... Uh, let me use the right words. I don't want to say in mourning, but he was devastated for years following that. Why? Because setting the stage, you get drafted by the Falcons early, second round. He's all world at Penn State. Okay. He gets traded to the enemy. He then gets hurt in the preseason, has a hamstring pull. And the first game back was against the Falcons, who he wanted to prove a point to by trading him. You guys made a mistake. 
He's in the game. He misses it. And that was his, because should he have scooped and scored, he would have scored. That play never happens. Never happens. And so he's like, you know, it took me a long time, but he's a man of faith and he shared with me. And he's like, listen, everything happens for a reason. And it wasn't my time. It was Steve's time. Because if you're not familiar with Steve's story. ALS. ALS. He's, his body is being ravaged by this disease. And there was a bigger purpose. There's a statue in front of the Superdome. And everything happens for a reason, right? And so he's come to terms with that. He then went on to play for the Buffalo Bills and spent 10 years or 10 or 11 years in the league. That's no easy feat. Yeah, he had a great career. He's a, he's a phenomenal guy. So Yeah, great guy. Well, this has been great stuff. I, I enjoy hearing the perspective from, from the other side, from yeah. the Saints folks, from LSU folks, because you're as passionate about those schools and, and that team as, as me and my friends are about ours. So I, I, I enjoy it. Um, before we finish, we, we got another minute. We're going a little over, but you know, I knew we would. Um, I want you to give some words of advice or wisdom to people that, that have this drive inside of them to start a company or, or change jobs or do a new thing. Um, they've got this entrepreneur spirit. They watch Shark Tank. You know, um, you know, they, they see Mr. Wonderful talking to these, these young up-and-comers. Like, what, what, is, what is your, you know, what, what, what is John Chrisadora's message to them? You know, I... Um I say that if you don't take risks in life, you might be safe, but you're going to be stick, stuck on a still boat, right? And so being an entrepreneur is not for everyone. Everyone thinks that owning your own company and making all the decisions, you're automatically going to be rich and successful, but you have to deal with people and you have to deal with processes and you have to deal with ups and downs. So it's not for the faint of heart. Um, I've got a lot of friends of mine that are very, very uh, smart individuals, but they just don't, they're very risk adverse. So my thought is take a risk. If it doesn't work, you can reset. It's not going to kill you, right? And especially you have the good support. If you've got great family that'll support you no matter what, those kind of things. And it's funny, um, I every morning I try to, not every morning, at least once a week, I try to send my kids, I have uh, 13-year-old daughter, Eliana, which obviously plays with your daughter in volleyball, and 11-year-old son, Luca. And I try to inspire them. And this morning, I, I found a quote from Bruce Lee, and it says, if you always put limit on everything you do, physical or anything else, it will spread into your work and into your, your life. There are no limits. There are only plateaus. And if you must not stay there, you must go beyond them. You, I should say, you must not stay there. You must go beyond them. The point is, just push it, man. Just push it, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I like that. So Bruce Lee, beautiful words. Chakras Zora, just push it, man. Just push it. Man. I like it. I like <laughs> it. I like it. That's good stuff. So before before you go, um, I tease the Usain Bolt as a volleyball dad. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead. Take it. Run with it. Uh, the explanation of what you're talking about. So Josh and I, for those who are listening, um, we're blessed enough to be um, dads of very talented volleyball players that play here on a local squad. And he and I, I mean, I love this dude. He's cool. I've just met him a couple months. I've seen him in circles in East Cobb and whatever. And he is, I mean, we're cut from the same cloth. And what that means is, and he's alluded to the fact that everything is competitive. I don't care what it is. And we support our kids wholeheartedly. So we're down in Orlando uh, on a tournament a couple of weeks ago. And I didn't know this. This is my first year. 
teenage girl volleyball, or I should say volleyball, whatever. If they get an ace, they do this dance or this they celebrate. Thing. They celebrate. And they, As they should. They should. Heck yeah, man. I would celebrate too. And so they do this thing which resembled, and you can't, there's no camera, but it resembles, if you're familiar with Usain Bolt from, um, from Jamaica, the world-class sprinter, he poses when he sticks his fingers up and his, his right hand is back and his arm is cocked. And they do something similar. So I took it upon myself to start doing that. And I was, you know, I was supported by the other dads. And so now every time they do that, we jump up and we hold the pose and we, and we bust. I'll, I'll make sure to drop a picture of you doing it. But what's funny is that the girls, they would do, they would get a, a, an ace. They would look at you, sure. shake their head like, damn it, dad, you're embarrassing us. But they loved it. Of course. They, I they asked, loved it. They I asked loved Ellie it. and I asked Isabella. I yeah. said, let's be honest. I said, I know everything your dad does embarrasses you because you're a teenage girl filled with angst. Yeah. However, is there a small part of you that likes it? And Ellie sort of smiled and with a glint in her eye said, yeah, dad, I do like it. We had the whole, the whole stand was rocking. Of course. You know, people were getting into it. Um, it's fun. You got to make this stuff fun. That's what it's all about. We do a whole show on youth sports and making it a good time for them. But um, anyway, I'll make sure I put a picture of you because it's funny. You, you look like Usain Bolt. I mean, that was essentially what hey, it looked man. like. And We're getting t-shirts great. done. We get t-shirts yeah. done. So, Sean, thank you. This was a good time. I knew it would be. Appreciate your, your, your sound words of wisdom for, for all that you've done and learned or we've learned from you uh to everybody out there thank you all for listening john anything else you want to add anything that you were dying to to talk about that we didn't get to or no man i just go i just thank you for the time that we've shared here uh i think that people should take risks um you're not guaranteed success but you're guaranteed not to succeed if you don't try right you 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 miss all the shots you don't take yeah okay michael jordan (laughs) (laughs) i too can bring out quotes all right hey everybody thank you all for listening If you enjoy this, tell a friend, have them listen to. uh, Tell a friend because Josh is awesome. Yeah, I appreciate that. Leave a comment, uh, subscribe, all that that good stuff. And until next time, keep chopping. Go Tigers.